It's a very complex time at the moment in the world. And I think the key there is that those disruptive geopolitical trends are increasingly playing out in the threat landscape. And that's because cyber operations ultimately reflect state and government interests. So Russia, Ukraine, an excellent example where, you know, huge amounts of tension and that's playing out with the sort of cyber operations we see coming out of Russia right now. What we tend to see is there's a variety of different threats. There's a variety of different ways that cyber operations are taking place. I think maybe the two to really highlight for the maritime sector in particular is information gathering and disruptive or, or even destructive attack. What we've seen with Russia is it's able to render networks unusable via, say, deploying wiper malware, even showing appetite to say interfere in operational technology and the systems that interact with physical processes so clearly big concerns there for the maritime sector welcome to the shoreline maritime risk podcast in each episode we'll look at real-time case studies current events and speak to the experts dealing with critical risks at sea what really happens when a crisis strikes at sea? And what can you do to protect your ship? Good day and welcome to Shoreline's Maritime Risk Podcast. In this episode, we focus on the intersection of geopolitical, socio-economic and cyber risk. We ask leading risk experts how the intersectionality of these three macro risk factors impacts the safe operation of ships at sea today. We discuss the motivations behind cyber attacks, in particular, nation state espionage and ransomware attacks. And finally, we gain a better understanding of what is meant by a threat informed cyber risk management strategy and question what this looks like in practice for maritime risk managers. Good morning. Welcome to this, the Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcast. In this edition, I am pleased to welcome Dr. Jamie Collier and Tom Scriven of Mandiant to discuss all things cyber related for our ship owner clients. In particular, we're looking today at the, the tinderbox of geopolitical, socio-economic and cyber risk and how the intersectionality of these three macro risks is going to impact upon safe ship operations for our clients at sea. So without further ado, I'll invite both Jamie and Tom, just to give a brief introduction of themselves and the company so that you know who we're speaking to. Well, hi, Tom. Uh, yeah, Jamie Collier here. I'm a senior threat intelligence advisor, so very much working in the threat intelligence space and helping organizations, including in the maritime sector, not only understand the threats that are really active in the sector, but what to do about them as well. And, and in, in terms of how Mandiant goes, we're an incident response and cybersecurity service company. So we're often called out to some of the most significant network intrusions, including in the maritime sector as well. We help organizations remediate those cyber attacks. But then also through that, we obviously see a lot into the threat landscape. We try and translate that insight into actionable advice. And I'll defer to my colleague, Tom, to introduce himself as well. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Captain Tom. Yeah, Tom Scriven. I'm a principal strategic consultant in the Mandiant UK consulting team. My job, slightly different to Jamie's, is to help clients mature their security programs, and that includes everything from response, incident response, to risk management, to training, and, and many other parts. And that has included many industry verticals, including maritime. My interest in maritime also comes from 
my time serving in the Royal Navy as well as an intelligence analyst. So I'm quite passionate about the area and uh, yeah, it's good to be on. Thanks. No, thanks. Thanks for the introductions. And, and really Mandiant came to my attention first and foremost back in 2019 when you responded to a cyber claim that we had placed in the market and provided some very important intel from the investigative work you did with the ship owner client of ours. So that was very much appreciated. And latterly, in the Royal United Services Institute article that you penned jointly, which you named keeping a hand on, on the tiller, a threat-led approach to maritime cyber risk, I found that of particular interest. And, and I would recommend that as a read to, to any of our ship owner clients, really. So really coming back to my intro, you know, I do feel as though we've never been in a greater state of world disorder, you know, being, being Gen X, you know, I've had a, the, the benefit of living in a fairly stable, stable world through my, you know, growing up and informative years. And, and now as I hit my sort of mid fifties, it feels as though we're in a fairly unstable geopolitical and socioeconomic climate. And consequently, as a result of the, uh, the Russian aggression towards Ukraine, it's coalesced sort of the allied forces to support Ukraine in defending their, their lands. And at the exclusion perhaps of the Russian state from world trade as a, as a consequence of the burgeoning uh, sanctions regime that have been imposed upon the Russian state. So that gives me all sorts of concerns about retaliatory issues that and, and sort of strategic cyber warfare uh, measures that may be deployed by Russia going forward and how they may impinge upon a safe operation of ships at sea. And I wonder if we, could, if you could jointly give your thoughts to, to that sort of uh, question, really, and, and say, say how that's going to impact ship owners going forward. Yeah, sure. I, I think you're certainly right that it's a very complex time at the moment in the world. And I think the key there is that those disruptive geopolitical trends are increasingly playing out in the threat landscape. And that's because cyber operations ultimately reflect state and government interests. So Russia, Ukraine, an excellent example where, you know, huge amounts of tension, and that's playing out with the sort of cyber operations we see coming out of Russia right now. What we tend to see is there's a variety of different threats. There's a variety of different ways that cyber operations are taking place. I think maybe the two to really highlight for the maritime sector in particular is information gathering and disruptive or, or even destructive attacks. What we've seen with Russia is it's able to render networks unusable via, say, deploying wiper malware, even showing appetite to say interfere in operational technology and the systems that interact with physical processes so clearly big concerns there for the maritime sector what we've tended to find though is that a lot of that more destructive and disruptive activity has so far been pretty focused on ukraine but we're also seeing you know russian foreign intelligence agencies and, and the respective cyber operations still gathering a lot of information going after a variety of different targets across europe and the west so that there's also a, a concern there about data loss data confidentiality for the maritime sector more broadly as well yeah, and I just come in on that with on the specifics on Russia and particularly how in Europe how the effect could could be seen is over the last few years pre pre conflict we have actually tracked a Russian group conducting scanning. So typically, if a, if an attacker is going to look to breach a network, they're going to scan the perimeter, look for vulnerabilities, look for potential remote access solutions to then pivot into the environment, and and also 
the Russians have a tactic of being on a network for pre-positioning as well. They are quite well known, and SolarWinds is a perfect example of that, of being on a network enough that future access can then enable further activity. And, and some of the more strategic ports in Europe and, and arguably some of the more the larger logistics organizations in Europe would be a perfect target for that sort of thing as well. The concerns that I have arising out of retaliation against the sanctions regime really relate to perhaps a proliferation of ransomware, nation state ransomware to replace trade dollars with stolen dollars. And secondly, you know, if you're going to exclude a nation state from world trade, then there may be a motivation from the excluded state, as you know, we've seen in the past, to actually disrupt the, the world trade and the global supply chain, which you've been excluded from. And it may be an overarching imperative of the Russian government to create more disorder in the world and divide and conquer in a way, create you know, a greater wedge between the peoples of the NATO countries and their governments who aggressively support Ukraine with their military efforts and also obviously with the, the sanctions. And you know, from a sort of Machiavellian perspective, it may make sense for the Russian government to try and create even more disorder amongst the, the NATO states to cause political pressure by the constituents of those states because they're concerned about rising fuel prices, energy prices, and, and if you can disrupt the supply chain and, and stop Amazon delivering very, the very next day, the immediacy of that sort of convenience culture is going to drive a wedge between the, the, the political parties and, and, and what they're doing on a more global perspective. So really, it's, you know, how do we see those two strategies impacting ship, safe ship operation? Now, the first being, are they just going to be an innocent bystander in a swathe of ransomware attacks? or it's going to be targeted against particular carriers and to particular ship owners? And do we see a proliferation of attacks on ports around the world? Or, you know, how are they going to disrupt that global supply chain? We've just seen the ever given and the impact that can have just one ship in the Suez Canal. You know, what would a great, what, what, what would a bigger picture look like globally from, from that, if that strategy were to be deployed by the I'll, I'll, I'll quickly answer on that and then hand over to Jamie. Um, not necessarily state related in this case, but we have observed ransomware impacting ports in quite a concerning way where a single operator or supplier to the operator of the port operates actually more than one port. But by breaching the one supplier, you actually impact more than one port. And that, actually, that was actually what happened in South Africa with a couple of major ports there. Eight days of disruption with very little container movement with vessels having to detour and go to, in some cases, different countries. Now, obviously, that was that's hugely disruptive. But if you can imagine that in Northern Europe with Felixstowe, Rotterdam, and potentially Antwerp, if, if, if a threat actor was able to map a supplier across one or two of those, where the breach of one organization has the ripple effect of affecting movement of goods in multiple ports, that's, that's, that's of a concern. And, and we've, seen, we've seen that activity, as I say, happen in South Africa. So if that was to be repurposed and reflected in, in, in Europe, that would be of a concern with the current geopolitical landscape. Sorry, Jamie. No, I mean, I completely agree. I, I think it's, as far as I'm concerned, it, it almost doesn't matter if the Russian state 
will turn to ransomware or not <clears throat> to generate government revenue because there's already such a burgeoning cybercriminal ecosystem. And that's actually really sophisticated now. You know, we, we do still talk about state cyber espionage operations being the most sophisticated, but the, the pace, the scale of those cyber criminal groups is really remarkable compared to, say, where that, that problem was five years ago. What we've seen is that that's highly active across a variety of different sectors. I, I guess the big question right now is what's that going to look like for maritime in the next 18 to 24 months? The, the truth is we're not 100% and that there are limitations to what we know. But, but what I can tell you is that we saw you know, a huge uptick in ransomware groups going after, say, the healthcare service during a pandemic. They're willing to capitalize on these opportunities and target organizations under immense pressure. And if you look at where the conversation where, you know, global leaders are focusing right now, clearly huge challenges around supply chain, around availability of goods. So considering the tendency of cyber criminal groups to really go after sectors under pressure, you, you would think it's now going to be a real opportune time. And it, it's, it's really vital that maritime organizations make sure that they've got that ransomware strategy in place because, you know, Tom or I, but we both work with a lot of organizations that have experienced ransomware attacks. And, and if you've got that plan, if you've got the backups, you've thought about this ahead of time, you, you're just so much better off and, and you can actually respond in a, in a really proactive way. On the disruptive piece, time again will tell, but what I can tell you there is that We've absolutely seen that Russia has both the capability and willingness to conduct highly disruptive operations. One group we track, known as Sandworm, they've shown you know, really little regard for international norms or for the collateral impacts of operations. They've gone after the likes of Ukrainian power grids in the past, tried to create huge amounts of disruption, not just in wiping networks and rendering them unusable and creating disruption on that IT network space, but also actually trying to create physical impacts by, say, interfering with uh, power infrastructure and, and the integrity of critical infrastructure. So again, you know, with with the the importance of supply chains right now and, and giving their track record of really causing immense disruption, again, a really serious issue for not just the shipping industry but maritime more broadly. And alongside supply chain, is is that third party support as well? With and and coming back to your original question, Captain Tom, around ship owners, operators, and and the real impact that it can have. We have also observed sort of IT suppliers that, that uh, their customers are fleets and the, the IT supplier themselves being taken offline by ransomware and the, and the subsequent effect that has for, for vessels. So limited limiting communications, services being sought from ashore and support from ashore to the vessel. So um, the ransomware piece doesn't stop at, at, at the at the vessel owner operator manager it's the it also taking into account when when as jamie says you you do your, your your preparation for this sort of thing taking into account what happens if my my shoreside support to to all my digital systems is taken offline what's 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 my what's my business continuity there or even operational continuity for the vessel itself so that's another piece to to consider and what we're observing as well yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, big issue, that's uh, without a doubt. I mean, in, in your article, you advocated what you referred to as a threat-informed cyber risk management strategy to combat an ever-widening widening attack surface to which ship owners are exposed. I mean, can we just explore 
what you mean by a threat informed strategy and and how in fact the current sort of world disorder as i like to refer to it is creating this ever widening threat surface or attack surface that you've referred to yeah i mean i, I think from my perspective we can all agree that the maritime industry needs to have a real focus on say an issue like cyber risk and get really serious in addressing some of these concerns i i think the concern from our side when you look at some of these risk assessments these cyber risk management processes is that they're relatively static, that they're not really having serious engagement with the actual threat at hand. We might see risk assessments that think about different threats and they will just simply talk about cyber espionage or cyber criminal. They won't get serious on the detail of what have we actually seen in this sector? What are the sort of attack techniques? What do those attacks actually look like if we kind of go a bit further and explore what cyber criminals are doing right now? So, so what we're advocating for ultimately when doing cyber risk is a really serious look at the data and the insight that's feeding those risk assessments and making sure that insight and understanding of the cyber threat landscape and what threat groups are doing, that that's feeding into those, not just those assessments, but ultimately driving the decision making. What, what we find is actually the cyber risk landscape or the cyber threat landscape rather, is changing much more rapidly. So whether that's ransomware, whether it's Russia, uh, China, uh, emerging states, the likes of Vietnam that are also targeting maritime. You know, we're seeing this all change uh, very quickly. So that means that we we need that robust evidence base to feed into cyber risk assessments, but we also need to make sure that that's updated on a continuous basis. This is a dynamic and iterative process rather than a static one. And it's vital that that sort of attitude and approach to cyber risk is really embraced across the maritime sector. Yeah, and I just add to that, absolutely echoing what Jamie said there. And just to give you some examples of where different operators in different geographies will face different types of issues in this space. I think we've discussed Russia and Europe, but another another key player in the maritime space from a cyber perspective is Iran. I think most, hopefully most people will be aware of some of the GPS manipulation they've they've been doing, and and some of the other interests that they have that was documented in, in ballast systems and maritime satcoms and specifically your likes of your Thurias and, and things like that, showing real intent. But we've also tracked them, develop specific malware families, specifically designed to capture credentials of users of very common maritime online services. So clearly demonstrating an interest in, 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 in those types of targets. And they are very much active in in their in their near geography in the strait in those areas and their surrounding seas so that's one to bear in mind if you're an operator transiting transiting the strait there's already risks present anyway but this is just another angle moving across to 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 china as, as jamie mentioned the belt and road initiative is obviously huge one of the one of the biggest moves west in 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 a lifetime and what what we're seeing is cyber is being used to really enable that to to be a perceived success. So around the purchase or investment in major ports, we've seen Chinese threat actors support that with the targeting of um, legal entities and et cetera around the port that are involved in, in those deals and negotiations. So that's, that's a good example of that as well. And from a North Korean perspective, they are uh, interesting that you mentioned, Tom, earlier around avoiding san sanctions. The North Koreans are actually using 
cyber and maritime space to to manipulate manipulate the, and avoid sanctions by it's, it's a fairly complicated process but using the blockchain to be able to really hide the identity of, of ship owner ship the ship owner whilst they're moving fuel and things and other sanctionable items in and out of north korea so, so they're very active as well so that's just an example of where if you're companies operating in different geographies you've got different threats and you need to adjust your risk management in 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 accordance with that as jamie mentioned very different for different places and different organizations yeah that's interesting i mean there's three things that fell out out of those comment that your commentary for me really one was the sharing of information i mean the the shipping industry has never been great at that Mm -hmm. and uh, in, in whether it's safety management or whether it's security risk management or whether it's now cyber risk management, you know, it, it doesn't tend to do that so well. And I think maybe they, they really need to focus on how they might improve upon that sharing of information to collectively combat this risk. The second thing was the, uh, the Belt and Road initiative that the Chinese are rolling out. I mean, you know, that is interesting from a commercial expediency perspective. I mean, do we see a way in which the Chinese ports might be protected against disruption and may benefit from disruption elsewhere by additional throughput through those Chinese-owned ports, for example. So we're going to come back to that and you can talk about that in a second. And the third thing is, you know, is the the the, the masking, the opaque nature of, of trade and, and the use of blockchain as we move into a more sort of digitized electronic bill of lading world. You know, that's a great concern, really, from, from my perspective as an insurer and the new EU sanctions regime which prohibits the insurance of Russian oil and petroleum cargoes really working out the provenance of those cargoes on any one individual voyage or another is is the devil's own work for for ship for for, for an insurer to try and stay on the right side of the law off so yeah I mean if you does I don't know if you want to add anything to those three observations one is the is the sharing of information two is the is the protection of belt and road Chinese and ports and the third is, you know, just to expand a little bit on into that sort of blockchain issue around the cloaking of certain material information regarding the provenance of cargoes and what have you. Yeah, Jamie, if you want to take the first point. Yeah, I, I think there's maybe two points for me. I think on the information sharing, I, I think anyone with experience in the maritime sector understands that the clear opportunity to improve that. I think, you know, clearly a lot of organizations are concerned about sharing data on on threats that they're observing but ultimately if we can if we can do that in a in a really you know advanced and clever way where we're where different organizations are becoming forthright and actually providing actionable insight rather than something that's relatively vague so if we can get serious on the operational detail of what that sharing infrastructure might look like that is an obvious an obvious thing that could be improved what i would say however is that it it's, you know, the lack of progress there or wherever that might be, that shouldn't stimmy progress happening right now. And the reason for that is it's really important that organizations, when they consider their threat landscape, to actually adopt a relatively wide aperture. So all the time we'll deal with organizations, we'll talk to them. And let's say we're talking to a UK maritime organization. They might ask us, what else have you seen in the UK maritime sector? And, and the answer, because of the lack of information sharing, might be actually not as much as we'd hope, because that information isn't out there, that threat data isn't out there. 
But if organizations are focused exclusively on only maritime or only UK maritime in this case, for instance, they're going to miss a lot of these other threats. If you look at something like ransomware, most of the groups conducting ransomware, they're prolific across a variety of different sectors. So just because some of those ransomware attacks haven't impacted maritime right now, it might be that that's the next target. So we also want to be really cognizant of the different cyber criminal activity taking place in other sectors. We want to be cognizant of the different Chinese and Russian espionage groups, you know, whether they've targeted maritime or not. So we want to kind of take a slightly broader perspective. And I think that's really important. Your question on China, I, I think it's fair to say that compared to the likes of Russia, that what we've seen with China is, is much more limited, destructive, disruptive types of cyber operations. I think most people are pretty confident that they have that capability. But when we look at their operations, they're very much tied to whether that's Belt and Road Initiative uh, made in China. It's very much focused on the gathering of strategic collections. So while it would be foolish to rule out, say, over disruption of ports, I think what we're probably more likely to see is, is much more extensive cyber espionage information gathering really across the sector as a whole and then leveraging that information to make make the kind of Chinese maritime sector as competitive as possible. And I think what really what I was mentioning there was do you think Russians with Russian interference will be hands off Chinese ports in order not to distance themselves from what they perceive as a, perhaps an ally? I'd say I'd say obviously that's a difficult difficult one to answer in terms of intent from a, from a Russian perspective. But what I will say is that Chinese own and run ports face the same risk when it comes to criminal elements, and that that should that will be their 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 biggest threat, especially because the the criminal groups will know how crucial these ports are to the Belt and Road Initiative, and how by knocking one offline will have a ripple effect across across the Chinese sort of business ecosystem. So yeah, I mean, it, that is the, that will remain the biggest threat for, for that port as it does Western ports as well, the, the ransomware piece. So moving on to the last point then in terms of the electronic trading, digitization of the, mm. the bill of lading and, you know, the tension we feel as insurers around the, the provenance of cargoes when it comes to managing our own sanctions risk. Do you have any sort of closing thoughts on that? Not specifically on that, but it's more from a, from a security perspective, the increased digitalization and optimization across the industry is obviously, it's, it's inevitable. It, it's the right thing to do in terms of, especially when you have supply chain issues as we do globally today. But from a manual perspective, we see an inherent risk with that as well, because of the more digitalized an, an asset is, the more connected it is, the more sensors and reach back to suppliers you have on a vessel in a port, the increased threat threat landscape is the attack surface is larger for you. So that that's that's a real sort of direction of travel that, that sort of concerns us from from a threat perspective. In terms of the manipulation of data and cargo, yet yeah, as again as that becomes more digitalized and more suppliers are involved in 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 that that piece of the chain. Yeah, there, there is increased risk that that data can be manipulated. And historically, that, that has happened from a, a, a drugs movement perspective as well in, in Northern Europe. We've met quite a few years ago now, but yeah, that, that is evidence that, that that can be achieved. So the, the more digitalization, as I say, the increased risk in, in that space. I'd, I'd completely concur with that. I think the only thing I would add is, you know, we're obviously advocating for this threat-led approach to 
cyber risk in, in the Rusi blog that we put out. The point there isn't to be crippled by the threats, right? So I, I think there are there are obviously serious concerns here. And understanding the threat landscape around some of these digitalized systems absolutely brings that to light and it makes those challenges very real. At the same time, the cybersecurity function isn't there to be the fun police to stop exciting innovation, exciting opportunities and efficiency gains from happening. So really, I think where that threat-led approach can, can play a role is if we understand these threats and we, we plug that insight into the cyber risk assessments, as I mentioned, that's actually going to lead to a much more robust decision-making that's based on empirical data. And it's actually through that approach, it's through engaging with, with these threats rather than that kind of, you know, just putting our heads in the sand. If, if we can engage with that, then we can actually start to build out a security strategy that's going to enable some of it. So, so slightly counterintuitive. But I think the more we understand these concerns, the, the, the more empowered we are, the more agency we have to actually be in an exciting place to benefit from them. So, so I think that should always be the overarching aim of any cybersecurity strategy. It's to enable those broader business goals. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you guys are saying. And I think the point on agency is very important. And it's really how how a ship owner's risk management department takes agency over this, this matter because the ephemerality of it and, and the sort of asymmetry of, of this risk, you know, as you've alluded to in terms of your threat-informed risk management strategy in terms of looking outside of the box beyond marine, there becomes a plethora of issues you need to manage and, and keep in mind. I mean, do you, do you guys have any assistance with data management in terms of AI and, and that kind of strategy that helps you collate all of these different threats and risks and sector, you know, different issues in different sectors. It seems to be a lot to, to process, uh, certainly from a, an internal risk management function within a ship owner organization, for example. So we, we as a company have to deal with huge volumes of data. We have, you know, all sorts of collection into the threat landscape through endpoints, through incident response, through a lot of the managed security services that we look at. I think, I think what I would say there is that there is a broad toolkit of, uh, you know, opportunities, ways to manage data, automation being one of those ways to do that, and AI or machine learning actually being a subset of automation more broadly. So, so I think it can absolutely play a role, but I think it's important actually that we don't ask the question of what role can AI play here? Because if I could push back, I think the question is, you know, what's the challenge? What are the, the full range of opportunities available to us? And then there's a question of, well, what role does AI have as one of many opportunities? I think because it's a nascent and emerging technology and because there's a lot of excitement, I, I'm always just cautious that it almost becomes the kind of the hammer for every nail. And, and so it's, it's making sure that AI is, is within that strategy, absolutely, but we're, we're not leaning into it for the sake of it as that kind of you know, shiny new object, if that makes sense. Yeah, and all I'd, all I'd add is that there's a lot of simple things you can do well to really make this work. Prioritizing investment in, in vulnerabilities that, are, that you discover that are exploitable, for instance, there'll be many vulnerabilities. Less will be exploitable and even less will be being actively exploited. So that's a very simple process there in terms of the process itself. Obviously, the work going behind it isn't. But yeah, I'd absolutely echo what, what Jamie said. It's, 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 there's, a, there's a lot to it. Some what's coming down the line in the future will be useful, but there's a lot of fundamentals and that people should organizations need to get right in this space. Exactly. Well, thanks, guys. I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation. It, it could go on all day for me because I find it just hugely informative. You know, Shoreline, we've been involved in looking at cyber risk management and cyber risk transfer 
since sort of 2018, 2019. And it just seems to me that even in that short period of time, the, the velocity of an explosion of this risk and uh, the implications of that risk on the safe operation of ships at sea uh, cannot be ignored. I mean, it is, it is manifest that it is now has to be a pillar of your, you know, ship owning risk management strategy going forward. And, you know, I applaud all of the efforts that people within your industry are doing to inform and educate decision makers within within the ship owning sector. So on behalf of our clients and, and on behalf of Shoreline, I'd like to thank you for your time, your knowledge and your willingness to share the information around these very fast moving issues as far insofar as they relate to the maritime industry. So thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Always great to talk maritime. Thank you very much. Cheers. We'd like to thank the show's sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited. The world and life at sea is changing on a daily basis. Shipping companies and owners are facing evolving threats from political risk to increased maritime cyber risk. Shoreline has the maritime insurance answers you need to make sure your company is covered when crisis strikes. Shoreline are providers of specialist maritime cybercrime crisis response insurance policies. To learn more about these specialist covers, visit www.shoreline.bm today.